as we get started, we are starting a new series called Living Your Best Life. And in this series, we're going to kind of take it from Daniel, the, the, the book of Daniel. And as we dive into the book of Daniel, we're going to learn how we can live our best life without compromising in the world and culture today. Because a lot of you know that it's difficult to live your best life given the situation and environment that we're in. In fact, I did a hashtag on uh, Instagram to see some of the number one hash, the number one pictures and stuff associated with living your best life. Here's one of somebody on their sailboat. Now, some of you guys are fishermen, or, and you guys, you know, you agree. You're like, yes, that's living my best life. I got another one here that some of you guys, it's maybe it's your wedding anniversary champagne breakfast, right? I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying maybe that's to you living your, your best life. And then we have another one here. A lot of you are going to relate to this one. There's not, not enough room for kids on that boat. It's just you, right? You ask, for some of you, that's your vacation, living your best life. And then we have another one. This little homie, he's just living his best life right now. Right? Aw, that's why I put it in there. Right? Because it's just, we think living your best life, and we look to Instagram and we, or Facebook and Twitter or whatever, we see everybody else's highlight reel. And it says, living your best life, right? Hashtag living your best life. That dog is not happy that much, okay? Some of you guys that have small little dogs like that, you know. They chew things and they poop on the floor, right? So we know that that's not the case, but the question we always have to answer, the question we at least need to wrestle to the ground is how do we truly live our best life? How do we make that happen given the culture and the world that we're in today? Given the situation that we're facing, given the news cycle that we get fed every single day, given the culture and the things that are shoved down our mouths and down our gullet through the, the uh, TV and, and Instagram and then the 15-second TikTok stuff, like how on earth do we even come close to living our best life in a culture that is pulling us in all sorts of different directions? How does that work? How do we do that when uh, the Christian values that many of us adhere to, if you're a Jesus follower... Uh, that we just say, hey, look, I, this is what I believe, this is what I do, this is the way I know I'm supposed to behave. How do we live our best life when obviously culture is not in line with those values? And let's be honest, hasn't been for hundreds of years. This is not a new thing, okay? This has been happening for a long, long time. How do we do that? How does that happen? Well, lucky for us, Daniel experienced something very, very similar to that. In fact, his situation was far more severe than the situation that we have today and the situation that we experience today when it comes to culture pressing against and changing and wanting to, to, to shift and change who you are. But as we get started, some context is important for Daniel. Now, this book, for some of you, for some of you, this book, and as you continue and you learn, you're going you're to find out that there's some historical inaccuracies in this book, and you're going to go, there's historical inaccuracies? Well, yes, depending on who you are going to listen to in the archaeological finds. But before you let that just shatter your faith, your faith, this is important, this is probably one of the most important things I want to say today, your faith is not built on, the, on Daniel's ability to remember the exact year that he had a conversation. It's not, that's not what your faith is built on. The things Daniel writes happened. We know that. We can find that in extra-biblical archaeology and extra-biblical sites and sources. But the years they happened may be off by a few. That does not affect your faith in any way, shape, or form whatsoever. 
Your faith is based on the fact that Jesus, if you're a Jesus follower, your faith, Christianity, is based on the fact that 2,000 years ago, a little under 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead and started a movement that we cannot explain and quantify. Can't be done. You can't sit back and say, oh, you can try to discredit it, and everybody tries to discredit it and writes all sorts of different things, and there's tons of different opinions. But even the atheist scholars sit back and agree that something crazy happened for the Christian movement to get to where it is today and to sustain the way in which it has. So, if you go to college, this is more for you that are going to college. You're going to go to college, and you're going to have some professors that are going to press against the Bible. They're going to press against these things. They're going to tell you that there's historical inaccuracies in the Bible, and the only thing you need to worry about is your faith is not built on Daniel's ability to tell you the exact year that he had a conversation with the king. Somebody say amen. Your faith is built on Christ, not on Daniel's historical ability. Plus, he wasn't a historian. That's not what he did. He was an advisor to the king. So he, he wasn't sitting down and, and trying to record things as they happened. This was later in his life he sits down and begins to record these things. In fact, we believe he probably recorded these things in the later part of his life after he had the, prof, the prophetic visions that you find in the second half of Daniel. So, again, you're going to find some things, you're going to do some research, you might find some things that say the years are off or whatever, but again, this is important. I take every opportunity I can to tell you, your faith is not built on that. Your faith is built on something so much stronger, so much more robust, something so much more significant and important than Daniel's capability to recall the exact moment he had a conversation with the king. But, we do have some really important information regarding what happened to Daniel, okay? Some, some context is important. So around 975 B.C., I'm going to throw some dates at you. You're probably going to you know, kind of gloss over for a second. But for those of you that like this stuff, tune in because this is for you. Around 975 B.C., Israel and Judah are completely divided. So Israel and Judah, they've completely divided. There's no longer Israel's one big uh, nation. It is now divided into Israel and Judah, or the southern and the northern kingdom. Around 900 B.C., we have the Elijah-Elisha narrative, which we walked through earlier this year. And then around 600 B.C., we have the, de the destruction of Jerusalem and Babylon comes in and totally decimates Jerusalem destroys the temple, takes the, the holy items out of the temple, and seizes them for themselves. Take the Israelites captive, and then in around 600 B.C., somewhere in that time frame, Daniel's story begins. And we're going to jump in right around the beginning of it because it's important. We begin to see how Daniel lives his best life when the world's trying to tell him to be something and behave differently. So, Daniel, starting in chapter 1, we're going to start with verse then the king, so this is Daniel, Daniel and his three friends have been captured by Babylon. They've been taken captive. But the king, smart, he recognizes that, hey, I, this is the way Babylon worked. They weren't going to turn around and just kill everybody, and they weren't going to enslave the really smart people either. You know, if somebody's, you know, a mathematician, they're not going to sit back and put them to do something silly like picking the weeds out in the royal garden. They're going to use them for things. So then they took the really bright people, and they would begin to shift and change their culture. They would try to shift and change the way they were raised, the way they would think, the way they would behave. So we begin to see this in this first group of verses. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, which is the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, 
Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. Again, the best and the brightest. That's what the king wants. He wants the best and the brightest because he has a role for them in his kingdom. That is honestly how Babylon and then subsequent nations and uh, conquering states really managed to conquer so many different places and not have tremendous rebellion because they would take the really intelligent people, put them in certain levels of leadership, and all of a sudden the Israelites don't want to rebel as much because they see Israelite leaders. Yeah, sure, the main guy is a Babylonian, but I mean, we see Israelite leaders over there. So that's why they wouldn't, they began doing this, the Babylonians, then you would see it again in the Persians, in the Medes, and in Rome, and you'd see this, this happen frequently throughout history. So Ashpenaz, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians, because it's not the same as the Israelites. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they would enter the king's service. Among those were chosen were from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So put yourself in Daniel's position for just a moment. You've lost everything. The temple that you worshipped at, the temple that you heard the priest tell you the presence of God lives in that temple. That temple's gone. Totally destroyed. Okay, The city, the holy city of Jerusalem is destroyed. It's in pieces. The walls are torn down. The walls are decimated. In fact, we're Nehemiah in a couple hundred years is going to come back and try to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple and put everything back. But everything that you believed in and everything that you thought was great about Israel and you thought it, it just fell apart. Your culture is now hijacked, pulled into the Babylonian empire, and they are trying to rewrite it. Trying to completely rewrite it. Three years of training to completely reset a group of people. Because you don't want them to be too attached if you're a dictator. You don't want them to be too attached to what they had before. You want them to just shut up and, and cover. So how do you do that? You, you just go ahead and shift their culture ever so slightly. You begin to change things. Notice they changed their food. They changed all sorts of things about them. For three years they went into training, teaching them new language, teaching them Babylonian literature and culture. They wanted them to stop being Israelites and start being Babylonians. And the chief official, it says, the chief official gave them new names. Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And this is significant because names were a sign and still are a sign of ownership. And Babylon wanted to give them new names, change who they were, because they didn't want Daniel anymore. They, wanted, they didn't want the Israelite Daniel. They wanted the Babylonian Belshazzar. So they, they changed everything. Now put yourself in that perspective. Put yourself in that perspective. Somebody grabs a hold of you and, 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 and takes all of your culture away, and then they change your name. Imagine how that must have felt. Listen to me. That thing will still happen today. Because the Babylonians changed their label, changed their name. And culture will try to do the exact same thing to you today. And it's just the nature of it, and it will truly happen. The world around you will try to label you. Culture will try to label you too. And you go, well, why is that? Well, because names have power. Names and labels, they simply have power. And it plays into our identity. And most of the time, 
Most of the time, the world and culture around us will try to identify you by your dysfunction. It'll try to identify you or label you or name you in according with your sin. That's why you get terms like alcoholic. That's why you get terms like addict. That's why you get terms like lazy, selfish. You're broken. You're disabled. You're not capable. They throw these things out here and they kind of frame it in a way so that you make sure that you don't live up to your purpose. Because it's a new name. It's a new label. And before you know it, you're not behaving to the name that God gave you. You're behaving according to the name that the world gave you. You're behaving according to the name that your mother gave you that you know she didn't have any right giving you that. You're not behaving in accordance with the purpose God has for you. You're behaving in accordance with the false lie that the world has for you. And this is a danger for every single one of us. We have to resist it at every single turn because, listen, you're going to live according to a name and to a label. You absolutely will. You just will. And you have to determine what that's going to be. You have to determine, are you going to listen to what God says about you? Are you going to behave according to who you know God has called you to be? Or are you going to behave in accordance with what culture is telling you to be? Because the two are often at odds. The two are often grinding against one another. Because culture is going to work to rewrite you in your image, or in, their, in its image, not in God's image. It's not interested in that at all. In fact, culture will work to make you more like it and less like Jesus. It's just the nature of it. It's going to happen. And if you're like one of those people, you're like, well, I'm not a Jesus follower, Brandon, so I don't, wanna, I don't, I don't really care about that. Okay, well, then culture will work to make you less like who you, more like it and less like who you want to be. This idea of who you want to be, who you want to strive to be, if you allow the culture around you to determine those things, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to become looking more like it. Because it's very simple and it's very easy for it to do. And it's something that we have got to consistently press ourselves against. We cannot let it take over. Because you can turn on the TV at any point in time. You can turn on your social media, any of it, and you can see these things begin to play out. So the minute somebody tries to label you or a group of people try to label you or simplify you or rename you, You find yourself start thinking like, well, maybe I am like that. Maybe I do behave this way. Maybe I am this person. Maybe I am this person. I'm telling you, you should just take a second and pause. You should take a second. You should reevaluate it. Don't take it for what it's, for its face value. Evaluate it a little bit more. So, they gave them new names. Then they gave them the food from the king. Now, this is a problem for them. Because a lot of that food violated the dietary restrictions of the Hebrews that God had given in his law. And again, Daniel has another opportunity. He never fully identified himself as Belshazzar. He stayed Daniel. Sure, the Babylonians called him by that, but in his mind and in his head, he was Daniel. Servant of God. He wasn't going to change and he wasn't going to allow those things to shift who he was. So, now we got the problem of food. Daniel, tell, we find out in verse 8, 
But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of what the Lord my king, who's assigned your food and drink, why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king will have my head because of that. <clears throat> now you got to pay attention. This is, this is the king thinking, oh, well, we give them wine and all these other types of food. We give them all these things. And, and we don't want them to look like the people. I mean, you can't have the, the, the king's court looking like they're starved. So he wants to make sure they're well-fed and taken care of because they're, they're going to be nobility. They're going to be part of the king, part of the king's court. And so the chief's like, look, if he sees you walking around looking all scraggly, he's going to have my head, dude. I can't do that. No way. I ain't about it. Can't have it. And then Daniel says, okay, well, hold on. Hold on a second. He said, Daniel then said to the, chief, to the guard whom the chief had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he says, test your servants to see for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. It's like, okay, check it out, dude. Ashpenaz, if you think the problem is going to be the nutrition and you're afraid of what's going to happen, then just test it. Just test us. Go ahead, just test us and see what happens. This is very interesting to me. Because you don't see Daniel pushing back against the name change. He doesn't need to. He can be Daniel without any problem. Sure, he changed his name, cool. But as long as he doesn't take on that embodiment, as long as he doesn't identify himself as Belshazzar, he's fine. As long as it's not, he doesn't begin to define himself by that label, he's good. So he doesn't press against that. He presses instead against this. So the lesson here is you got to pick your battles. Don't be that person that goes against everything all the time. You won't have any friends. You just won't. Can't be going against everything all the time. But there's moments in which you do need to stand. There's moments in which you do need to resist. And right here, Daniel makes his stand and makes his, takes this as a moment. Because this is directly violating his worship practices. This is directly violating and would be violating his relationship with his heavenly father. Because the ancient Israelites entered into a covenant with God. They would uphold the law, he would uphold his side of the covenant, and he would provide a way for them. So Daniel's like, look, I don't want to get into a situation where I'm not going to be able to have a relationship with God because of you feeding me these things. So no, I'm not going to be part of that. Now, the alternative is for Daniel to just go with it, to not resist it, to not fight it, to just say, you know what? I'm just going to eat the food. I'm just going to do it. And then I'm just going to be about, I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to be a Babylonian. I'm going to go ahead and compromise my values. I'm going to compromise who I said I was. I'm going to compromise all these things to just appease a few people. And so many of us do the same exact things today. For many of us, and this is, might offend you just a little bit. Um, we're, we're cultural Christians. We sit back and we sit in places like this on Sunday. 
and we get dressed and we look nice and we bring our Bibles, right, or you bring your phones or your tablets to, to do all that. But then when the push comes to shove and it's time to, you know, maybe stand up for your faith just a little bit, you'll compromise. And we compromise. We compromise our values. We compromise our position. We compromise our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Sometimes we compromise. And again, culture is never going to make you more like Jesus. Culture is only going to make you more like culture. That's all it's going to do. And just like Daniel, we have to make the decision, are we going to let that happen? Are we going to let that take root in our lives? Or are we going to resist and press against it? And say, no, 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 some things I can let go, some things I can not argue with and just keep my mouth shut. But there's other things, other things that are associated with me and my behavior. No, 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 I'm not going to do that, sir, ma'am. I refuse to do that because that violates what I think or what my conviction is a Christian. See, the, the problem is sometimes the church has done that also. Because they say that the church, a church in a country is the conscience of the nation. And when the church is not doing what the church should be doing, which is loving God and loving people and making a difference everywhere it's going, if the church is not doing that, and the church becomes more concerned with butts and seats, and the church becomes more concerned with other things, and those aren't bad things, those are just things that can become idols in the church, as soon as that happens, the church loses influence. And as soon as you lose sight of who God has called you to be, as soon as you lose sight of your purpose, you begin to lose influence too. Because you just become one of them. And that is something we just can't have. We just can't. And we see it with Daniel right here. Daniel wasn't going to compromise his own values. He wasn't going to compromise his own values. He wasn't going to compromise who he knew he was. He wasn't going to do that. But yet so many of us will allow that to happen. We'll allow culture to shape us. We'll allow our people at work to shape us. We'll allow the boss to shape us. We'll allow all sorts of people to shape us and shift us off our purpose. And that is just not what God would have for you. And before you know it, you're living a life that you don't enjoy. You don't like going to do these things. You don't like going to work. You don't like, you know, filling the blank. And it's because you've compromised so many times. And you've compromised to where you're not even sure who you are anymore. And Daniel warns us that we simply cannot do that. And I love the phrase, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. You know what resolved means? Resolved means to firmly determined to do something. He resolved himself ahead of time. He said, look, I'm not going to let this, I'm not going to compromise this. This is important to me. This is important to who I am. This is important to my God. This is important to worship. I'm not going to compromise this. I'll let some other things go. Those aren't important. Not a big deal. But I'm not going to compromise this. My person, my values. And when culture tried to push him and change his principles and change his values, he said, no, 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 no. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to compromise. 
And you go, okay, Brandon, that's really, that's, that's great. That's all well and good. What's the point? What's the takeaway for us? And the point is this. Don't compromise. Don't compromise who you are. Don't compromise God's purpose in your life. Do not compromise what he's called you to do. Do not compromise what he's empowered you to do. Do not compromise what he's equipped you to do. Just to please the culture around you. Because when that happens, when that happens, you will begin to lose your way. And when that happens, you will begin to lose your connection with your Heavenly Father. Because it's just a small deviation, right? Small deviation, small deviation, small deviation. But if you have a bunch of those, consistent compromises, consistent, ah, it's not a big deal, ah, it's not a big deal, ah, it's not a big deal. You know, I know God said love people, but that guy really ticks me off, so I don't really care about that. You know what, I'm just, but he's the only one, so I'm just going to say that hateful thing to him. But he's the only one. That's a gateway drug, y'all. Because being mean, I'm going to be real. Sometimes being mean is fun. Go ahead. Some of y'all are like, "Mm, uh, this is not fun, Pastor. You know it is. I don't have to ask for a show of hands how many of you all got one person in your life you'd love to let them have it. Okay? Don't look at your husband or wife. Eyes up here. Okay? Don't look around. But I'm sure that you have somebody in your life that if you had the opportunity, you'd just fire off. You just let them have it. But that's not what your Heavenly Father says you should do. That's not what your Christian values say you should do. So when that happens, culture says, let them have it. Who cares? Say whatever you want. And if you can't say to whatever you want because you're afraid they'll hurt you, do it on Twitter, right? So that's just what we're going to do. So that's what culture will tell you to do, but your Heavenly Father says, no, 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 no. He says things like, turn the other cheek. He says things like, hey, if they need something, give them the shirt off your back. He says things like, love them, love your enemy. And the problem is so many Christians compromise those core and important values, those things that set us apart from culture, those things that have always set us apart from culture, those things that have been irresistible about the, irresistible about the Christian movement because we just want to be like culture sometimes. And we make excuses. And I'm telling you, when that begins to happen, when that begins to happen in your life, you will lose your purpose. You will lose your connection to God. You'll lose where God's trying to guide you because you're allowing culture to speak more to you than you're allowing God to speak to you. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is if a group of people do it, if a church does it, it's off the rails. It's going to look to be more like a group it's going to be more like a frat house than it is to be like a church because it's just concerned with pleasing the culture. And we simply cannot do it. We can't. Because when it happens, again, you are limiting what you can do in this world. You are limiting who God is trying to pull you and call you and guide you to be. And you can't do it. And I can't do it. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, you certainly can't do it. Because we already have somebody who set our tone. We already have somebody who set the pace. Again, he's somebody who said, turn the other cheek. 
He's the guy that said, hey, look, when all else fails, love God and love people. He said, you are supposed to be salt and light in the world. That's who set the tone for us. If you're not a Jesus follower, then I encourage you to at least consider some of the things that he taught. But if you're a Jesus follower, you can't allow culture to shift those values. You have to do the same thing that Daniel did, which is the refusal to compromise our values and compromise who God has called us to be. Because he has a greater purpose for us. And if we are consistently shifting away from what he has, then we will never see his will fully realized in our life. And that's something that we, I want every one of us to experience. So don't compromise your faith. Don't compromise your behavior. Don't compromise on what God has called you to do or what God has called you to be. Don't compromise on it. Just because culture says something about it or or you're one of those Jesus freaks, or you're one of those people, or, you know, you're just too kind. You know what? You're too generous. You just give too much. You make, too, you know, you, you love too much. That's why you get hurt, because you, you, you love too many people, and when they leave your life, they hurt you. Don't compromise who you are and who God has called you to be because of the culture around you. Be who he's called you to be. Follow the things that he's called you to do. And you will see in your life, you will get better. Your relationships with him will be better. Your relationships around you will be better if you're willing to refuse to compromise. Don't compromise the values that he's given us. So, With that, this week, I want you to go and I want you to honestly evaluate the areas where maybe you've compromised a little bit. 